Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Okay, that's it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to turn there, I'm going to invite up my dear friend Caitlin's going to come on up to lead us in our scripture reading. If you'd stand with Caitlin and I this morning for the reading of God's word. <coughs> We're in Ephesians chapter 5, working our way through this book, and Caitlin's going to lead us through verses 15 through 18. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we come to you this morning, thankful again for another another window here into your grace not just to see your grace, but to receive your grace this morning through the gift of your word, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And so Lord, that's why we're here this morning. We're, we're here because God, our hearts need recalibrating. They need a recentering. We're not naturally centered around you. Our thoughts are not naturally always filled with you. And God, our lives are not always after you. And so this morning, Lord, we position ourselves here and we posture ourselves here because we desire more of that, more of you at the center of our lives, more of your truth at the center of our minds, more of your will. And so Jesus, we we ask this morning that um, you'd help us be good students not of Andrew, not of a classroom setting or some preacher, but ultimately as students of you, Lord, of you, Jesus. We want to follow you. We want to know you. So send your grace and the power of your spirit here this morning to help us do that. We ask God that that you would speak to us this morning. We pray that every week, but may we never take that lightly, that the God of the universe, of the cosmos, has a voice that's personal for us. So would you speak into our lives this morning, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Caitlin. You may be seated. All right. Well, we are walking through position to a new place in the world, to a new place in the kingdom. We are now positioned in Christ. We're in him. And the call of Ephesians is to live in and from that place, to stay rooted in Jesus, to put our roots down deep in all that he is and all that he's done, and to let that produce fruit in our lives. So each week as we're going through Ephesians, really there's just so many implications of this. There's so many different areas of life in Christ. And each week as we get to a different section, we're just exploring what the Holy Spirit has to teach us from that passage about life in Christ. Uh, This week, Every week, it's like a different blank in Christ, okay? And so this, this morning, uh, uh, we're looking at this idea of wisdom in Christ. Go ahead and jot that down. That's kind of the big idea of this passage. And more than just the theme of this passage, the topic of wisdom, wisdom, true wisdom, the wisdom of God even, is really one of the, the key themes of this whole letter, It's one of Paul's favorite things to talk about in general is is the wisdom of God. 
And especially he'll talk about the wisdom of God in contest with the wisdom of the world and how God's wisdom often looks foolish to the wisdom of the world. But man's wisdom, contrarily, looks foolish to the wisdom of God as well. And Paul loves to talk about this idea, and Ephesians is, is, is no different. This is one of those books of the Bible where, where the wisdom of God is on full display. Even from chapter 1, do you remember this in chapter 1? Paul describes that even our redemption in Christ, Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, our redemption in Christ is the outworking or overflow of God's wisdom. This was Ephesians 1 where Paul says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. The idea like it's all him. He saved us. He redeemed us. It was his grace. It was his love. It was his work to save us. And he did this. He made his grace abound toward us. Notice this, in all wisdom and prudence. It was the wisdom of God, the very mind of God to look on at your and my life and save us the way that he did. It's incredible to think about. It wasn't your and my idea. We didn't sit in a boardroom and go, hey, let's come up with who's got the best wisdom for how we're going to save ourselves. Who's got the best ideas? Let's brainstorm. How can we redeem humanity? This whole thing has gotten really messed up. We need to fix it, okay? Project redeem humanity. What are we gonna do? That's not the story. The story is that from the very heart and mind of God flows our salvation. Now, the Bible teaches that the cross, our redemption, is foolishness to the world. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. A crucified Messiah? a dying savior? Paul says it's foolishness to the Greeks. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. But to we who are being saved, it's the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. His redemption of your life flowed from his wisdom. Now, it goes on uh, beyond this. Paul says this, that we're saved by the wisdom of God. But then he goes on to say this, something really cool. He goes on to say, not only are we saved by God's wisdom, but through our salvation, we're actually saved to God's wisdom. That, that we actually, we get to experience his wisdom in our lives as well. That we're not doomed to foolishness, praise God. Okay. We're not doomed to our own natural ways of folly. We're not doomed to the broken ways of man. That we're saved by the wisdom of God, but we're also saved to the wisdom of God. That's why only 10 verses later, Paul prays this in Ephesians 1. We've studied all of this. Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul prays for these Christians that have been saved by the wisdom of God, that as they walk with God, as they have knowledge and relationship with God, that his wisdom, listen, would become their wisdom. This is what it means to be, by the way, a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone who says, I don't have all the answers, okay? Contrary to popular belief, Christians don't have it all figured out. In fact, we have uh, most not figured out. But here's what we have figured out. Jesus has it figured out, amen? We're like, he's the guy who's wise. He's the one to follow, and I'm gonna follow him. I'm gonna walk with him. I'm going to learn from him. I'm going to apprentice under him in his way because Proverbs 13, 20 says that he who walks with the wise will be wise. 
that, that we will take on the wisdom of Jesus as we walk with Jesus. This is what Paul is praying for his people. As we walk with Jesus, we, we begin to look like him because, well, as, as your grandma told you, you become the company you what? You keep. It's true. You, you will only be as wise as the company you keep. The level of your wisdom is directly, in, in God's eyes, by the way, I'm not talking about the world's eyes because the world might be praising you. Like, oh my gosh, you're so wise, you're so amazing. But I'm talking about from God's perspective, as God sees it, you will only be as wise as your company, as those that you surround yourself with. I know some of us in this room, we go, okay, that's like classic for most people, not me, okay? I'm an individual, independent, I almost said woman for some reason, but I'm an independent <laughs> individual. I don't need no influence, okay? I'm not as influenced as other people. That's the first lie we buy into. We think we're different. We think we can live in isolation. We think we can be our own wise counselor. We think, we, can be, we, we think that we don't have to take any inventory of the people we're following and who we're surrounding with, and it's not gonna have any effect on my life. We think we can date the church and not even be in community with people and be fine. And scripture is like, be careful. Your company matters. And, and this, is, this is ultimately why like, we prioritize our lives not just around being together, but being together with Jesus. That's what church is, a community that's getting to know Jesus together. That's what church is, following him, growing in his wisdom, looking like him. Now, uh, this is what Paul is describing here in Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. Those verses that Caitlin read over us uh, is a small section of scripture that has major implications. It's a passage of scripture. You could write it down this way, the verses that Caitlin uh, read to us there. Ephesians 5, 15 through 18 is where Paul is describing what it looks like to walk in wisdom. As we follow Jesus, as we spend time with him, his wisdom begins to rub off on us. And Paul's describing here actually what that looks like. And, and even in that fact, there's a point. There, there's a point to the fact that wisdom looks like something. This is, in Scripture, uh, this is the true test, actually, of wisdom. You, you can think of it this way. Um, according to the Bible, according to Paul here in Ephesians, wisdom is not so much what you know, it's what you, rhyme it, show. Okay? Dr. Seuss in the house, all right? From Paul's understanding, wisdom is not just how smart you are and how much insight you have. True wisdom, the true test of wisdom is not just in what you know, but it's in what your life displays. Wisdom is not just discerned, it's displayed. Look at what James says in James 3.13. He says, who's wise and understanding among you? Who thinks they have wisdom? Who thinks they have deep insight into the things of God? Who, who thinks that they have, um, like Solomon, you know, developed a, a deep sense of wisdom? He says, okay, if that's true, I don't care what you know. He goes, let him show. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. That's the true test of wisdom. I don't care what you know. I care what you show. I mean, if you think about even like the book of Proverbs, for example, which is the book of Solomon's wisdom. Um, most of Proverbs is like, is not just telling us what's wise, but it's showing us what's wise in contrast to what's foolish, right? 
It's like when you, when you see a wise man, it's, it's, just, it's like you look at his life. I mean, this is wisdom. Or you look at the foolish man, and you're like, oh, I, that's, a, that's not a wise man. Look at that. Look at the way he's navigating his finances. Look at the way he's navigating relationship. Look at the way he's navigating his connection with the Lord. It's the true test of wisdom. The true test of wisdom is not just what you know, it's in what you show. And Solomon is a great, by the way, example of this, isn't he? Solomon. Some VBS for you this morning. Some vacation. We don't have a VBS at Solus this summer. One day. But I guess we do. This morning we have it. Real quick, quick VBS. Remember Solomon? Solomon was a, was a wise guy, wasn't he? He was in all the, in all the, the, the real ways, the, maybe not the, the truest ways we'll talk about, but listen to 1 Kings 4.29. Here's Solomon. If, if we're talking about wisdom, we would think Solomon was a guy who had wisdom. The Bible says in 1 Kings 4.29, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breath of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. It's a lot of wisdom. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. This is King Solomon. He was wiser than anyone else. And it goes on to name all these guys, Ethan and Haman and Calcol and Darda. I guess these were wise guys in that time. It says this, and his fame spread to all surrounding nations. He spoke three, this is, you wanna see Solomon's wisdom resume? Check us out. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. So think of like tweets, okay? He has like 3,000 tweets and they're all deep and insightful. His songs numbered 1,005. Jimmy, in the songwriting world, is that a good amount of songs? 1,005? That might be, you may, might be able to get a greatest hits album from that, I think, right? He wrote a lot of songs. He wrote a lot of Proverbs. I love, this is in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 4, or 1 Kings 4.33. He spoke, so people would come to him and he would give these like TED Talks. And like you never knew what topical series Solomon was gonna just drop bars on, okay? They would gather around his speaking and he would speak about plant life. From the cedars of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. It's like, did you hear that sermon from Solomon on the hyssop of the walls? It's like, is that in the series on Eastern trees? They're like, yeah, it's a great sermon series. And then he also spoke about animals. He, this guy's a Steve Irwin slash Bob Ross slash, okay. Bob Ross, I don't you know, but he's wise. He speaks about animals, birds, reptiles, fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Now, we would look at this guy, and if <laughs> basic inductive Bible study, if you're reading First Kings, would make you go, I think Solomon had wisdom. Six chapters later, First Kings 11 says this, but King Solomon, but King Solomon loved, we know it was in his head, but true wisdom is really what's in your heart. He loved many foreign women, as well as the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, and Sidonians, and the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. The Lord's like, stay away from her. Surely, here's what the Lord told him. Solomon, who taught us with his wisdom that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The Lord told Solomon, surely these women, if you go after them, will turn your heart away after other gods. Solomon, use your wisdom. Be truly wise. 
Solomon clung to these in love. That's foolish. And he had 700 wives. That's not wise either. Princesses, 300 concubines. And notice this, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon, man of wisdom, did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. So, test this morning as we just sit before the Lord for a second, as we think about our lives, as we think about all the Proverbs we've put out. (laughs) How much counsel have you given other people? Here's the true, the true test. When God looks on at your heart and he looks on at your life, is there wisdom or foolishness? Not just what you know, but are you navigating life in true wisdom? This is what Jesus is seeking to lead us into, amen? He's, and, and when we talk about wisdom, we're not just talking about insight, right? We're talking about, like, if I could define the wisdom that the Bible is describing here, it's the art of living skillfully and successfully, It's the skill of life. It's the skill of navigating life in a way that leads to blessing and honor and God's glory. This is what Paul wants Christians of all people to really get a grasp on. That we're those that have been connected to the God who alone is wise. We're those that have been saved by the wisdom of God and called out of foolishness to learn the way of wisdom. So so, so Paul is like, learn a heart of wisdom. Get this, and that's what this, again, this passage described to us, what it looks like to walk in it. And man, uh, what I like about this section that we we studied, and notice it's a very small section we're looking at here this morning, is it's like a a little New Testament mini book of Proverbs. Just like a little book of Proverbs, like here's what it looks like to walk in wisdom as a follower of Jesus. And here's a couple things. We'll call these like maybe four key ways that you and I can test our lives and ask, Lord, not just what I know, but is what, what kind of wisdom is my life showing? All right, let's look at these. The first thing that Paul teaches as a test for true wisdom in our lives is this first definition of wisdom. He says this. First thing, write this down. The first of four keys. First of four definitions. The first um, area of wisdom that Paul describes is the idea of wisdom that studies the path. That's the first thing uh, Paul would say. A wise person is displayed as someone who studies the path of their life. They're aware of the path of their feet. Here's what he says. Wisdom studies the path. He says, see then, Christian learning to grow in wisdom, see then that you walk, I love this word, circumspectly. Not as fools, but as what? As wise. The the first key element of walking in wisdom, according to, to Paul here, is to be someone who walks circumspectly. What a word that we don't ever use. I've never used this in a normal, casual conversation. Like, hey, I'm looking for a parking spot. I've just been walking, driving circumspectly, looking for a spot here in the Meisner garage. You know, there's nothing. It's super relevant if you've ever been there. Um, the word circumspect, obviously the key word there with etymology there is the word spect. It has to do, the word spect has the idea of, of looking, spectacle, perspective, right? And we know that that, all throughout the Bible, Christians are called to walk with certain perspective, to, to walk with a certain view. Like how you look matters for where you're going. H- how you look matters for how you're walking. 
And so here's a couple examples of this. In the Bible, the different kinds of spectacles we're called to have, okay? We're called to walk with expectation, which means looking ahead. Looking ahead. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Some of us, we need to look through what we're going to what's ahead. We're called to walk with expectation. We're called to walk with retrospection, to have a healthy relationship with the past. Some of us are too focused on things in the past, and we need to let those things go and press on to things that are ahead. But the other way to, be an un- to have an unhealthy relationship with the past is forgetting what you need to remember. You follow that? Like, there's two ways to have an unhealthy relationship with the past. You're remembering what you need to forget, or you're forgetting what you need to remember. You with me? Like, you, the Bible's like, you gotta, don't forget the Lord. Don't, don't forget what he's done. We gotta have a healthy sense of retrospection. Look back, see how the Lord's carried you. We also need to have a healthy sense of retrospection. We gotta walk as those that are looking within. Jesus said, like, before you look at everyone else and you're like, here's what's wrong with you and here's what's wrong with you, he's like, look in the mirror. Before you call out the sawdust, look out for the two by four, okay? Just a word of caution. Self-evaluate, examine, look within. Examine yourself. And then circumspection. This word here, it means to walk as someone who's looking around. This is a really great word. Literally in the Greek, it's a militaristic term that describes a a soldier on the battlefield that's navigating a war zone. He has his eyes up. He's alert. He's, He's considerate of his steps and his surroundings. Now, most of us don't know how to parallel that to our lives because we're not, some of us are in a war zone in a lot of ways if we have children and stuff, but maybe the idea of a battlefield is kind of foreign. So here's another way to think about it. Like when I think about walking circumspectly, it's like when you drop glass in the kitchen. You walk a certain way, don't you? Or like if, for me, it's like when my kids get done playing with Legos, which is great that they're all into Legos now. So like it's not 50 different kinds of toys. Well, maybe it's worse because it's 50,000 kinds of Legos everywhere. And have you, have you stepped on a Lego before? Listen, we have elders available to pray with you after service. You know, the Bible says the effective prayer of an, of an elder, you know, it avails much, it can heal the sick. I mean, I've had some like mortal, near mortal wounds from stepping on Legos before. I've definitely wounded my children with the noises I make, you know, when I step on them. But, or, or here's another one, like um, if you're new to Florida, like a big part of initiating into the, the culture of Florida is coming across these things called sand spurs. It's the curse from the very Garden of Eden right here in our own backyard. These demonic thorns that exist to steal, kill, and destroy. These little, you know what I'm talking about? Like you get your first initiation, and what's amazing is it doesn't matter, I've been a Florida boy my whole life, I've stepped on a billion of those, and every time it's like the first one. You know what I'm saying? And, but you get good at like, Judah's at the point now where he just like flicks it off. You, gotta, you always gotta flick it out. If you pull it out, it's just gonna hurt worse, okay? Just a little Floridian tip for you there, all right? But I, I used to have a big problem on, the, on one of the, my side yards, and so anytime I had to walk through there, that's usually where I, I do my chipping practice. It's my little private golf course on the side of my house. And, and, and so I, I had to be careful because I'd be out there barefoot, and if I'm walking, I have to walk circumspectly, okay? I've got to be cautious and thoughtful about each step. I have another problem like that on the other side of my yard, but it's not sand spurs. Let's just say that's where the dogs hang out. And so there's another. This is the word picture I want you to have in your mind for how wisdom is walked out. This is the wise person. 
Think of the contrast. Think of foolishness. If that's wisdom, foolishness is someone that has no thought or consideration to their life. You're just acting and stepping and going and and you're stepping all over glass. You're wounding yourself and others. There's no thought for your actions. There's no thought for the course of your life. There's no thought for the path you're on. That's foolishness. That is the definition of foolishness in Proverbs. To be on a path that's leading to destruction with no caution whatsoever. Wisdom then, a heart of wisdom says, let me ponder the path of my feet. Let me think about where I'm going. Let me think about where, where, I'm, where I'm headed. In fact, Proverbs expounds on this. In Proverbs 4, where Solomon is calling us to wisdom, he says this, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence. Don't let it go. Don't lose thought to what's going on in your heart. This is where it all flows from. Don't get lazy. Keep your heart. Be mindful. Be on top of it. For out of the heart flows all the issues of life. Isn't that true in Solomon's life? He had all the wisdom, but he loved that which was of the world. He says, for put away from you a deceitful mouth, put away perverse lips far from you. Let your eyelids look straight ahead. Here we go. And your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Watch out for those sand spurs and Legos. Remove your foot from evil. Solomon's like, listen, wisdom gives consideration to your steps and surroundings. Are you wise or are you walking as foolish? I think these are important words that Solomon leads us to. Write these three things down, and we'll move on to the next one. It's one thing for me to say, pay attention to your life. Ponder the path of your feet. Don't be the fool that just runs through the sand spurs and steps all over the glass and doesn't think about how his decisions have consequences. Don't be like that person. Be wise. But I love that in this passage of Proverbs, Solomon gives us three things to, spe- uh, to give special focus to. The first thing he gives us is, is this focus of attention. The first thing we need to consider as we're stepping in life is what has my attention? He says, give attention to my words. This is one of the main themes in the Bible. What you give your attention is ultimately what's going to shape who you are. You become whatever it is you behold. So where's your attention? That's the first thing he says. What, do you th- what's, what has your attention? The second thing he asks is, is what has your affection? Pay attention. In your life right now, what has my attention? Number two, what has my attention or my affection? What, what has my ultimate love? At the end of the day, it's love that's gonna steer my life. Love for God or love for the things of this world. What's steering your life? Check your affection. Keep your heart with all diligence. And then lastly, action. Consider your steps. Consider your action. Listen, if you begin to do this, and this is what's good news. He doesn't say have perfect attention, have perfect affection, have perfect action. The the call of of, of wisdom is just to pay a focus and attention to it. That's wisdom. Wisdom, number one, studies the path. Start there. Next, wisdom, write this next one down, seizes the moment. Wisdom studies the path doesn't walk mindlessly, it steps thoughtfully. Wisdom also, as it's walking, looking around, aware of my life, 
not just letting life happen, but I'm aware of my life. I'm discerning it with the Lord. I'm looking at it. I'm allowing him to examine it. Wisdom, notice this next thing, seizes the moment. This is a great next description of wisdom. Let's look at the verse in, in its context, Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly. Look around, not as fools, but as wise. And then there's this other characteristic of wisdom. As someone who is, I love this phrase, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So, so the first like, category of wisdom has to do with like, your relationship with your life. How's your relationship with your life? Are you aware of it? Are you discerning it with the Lord? Are you paying attention to it? And now Paul is like, what's your relationship with your life? What's your relationship to time? Interesting. He's describing someone who's walking in wisdom. And a, a, a true test of if there's wisdom in your life is how do you steward, a.k.a. spend your time? Thinking about time. Now, what's really helpful about this idea is the context and the stage that Paul sets to frame time in. Because we're going to talk about what to do with your time. But before we do that, we need to know the times that we're in. It's going to help you frame the time of your life, okay? It's going to help you understand the, the dash that's going to fit between two dates at the end of your life, okay? He says, the days we're in, the times we're in, here's the context, are evil. That's what he says. Scripture has no problem being real and honest about the dark spiritual forces behind the brokenness of this world. We're going to talk about that more in chapter 6. And Scripture has no problem painting a really stark and honest picture of a fallen world. The world in which we live, and the world in which we live temporarily. This is huge. The days are evil. The days that are evil aren't permanent, but the days are evil. There's a time coming where those evil days will come to an end, and judgment days will come upon the earth. The time is short, is another way to say this. The, the times that we're in, it's not, Paul's like, it's not time to fool around and say things like YOLO, right? You still saying that? Paul turns up the heat, he's like, guys, life is more serious than you're making it. The eternal destination and destiny of your friends and family members is more serious than you're making it. The need for light to shine in the world that's very dark is more, it's, it's high time to be about the things of God. The days are, Paul's like, because this is huge. If you're living your life like it's the first quarter, you're going to play Maybe like the Miami Heat a little. I pray that we could play some fourth quarter action in the first quarter next time. But if your mindset is just whatever, this is the first quarter. But if the mindset is, no, it's the fourth quarter. We're down. We, we need to push the context of how you see your life, how you see eternity, how you see the times you're in. It's framing what you're doing with your time. If you're playing with time or if you're investing time, if you're stewarding time, seeing the world we're in, seeing the moment we're in, Seeing what your life can really matter for changes everything. When you see your life framed within the context of eternity, you'll stop wasting time. You'll start stewarding it. Now, that, that's what he's saying to do. In fact, here's the action. Here's like, okay, here's what you need to do. Here's the setting of your life. There's eternal things at stake here. It's serious, okay? Here's what you need to do then. Redeem the time. That's the, that's the call. What an action. Redeem 
the time. Now, this is a marketplace term in that culture. The, the word redeem there, like this word, it's, it's doing some, some study on this. It was kind of fun to see what this, this word was used for. It's, it's literally used in the market to describe some, like a hot item that you need to get while it's hot. Like buy it up. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like get it. Don't waste your money on the new Apple, you know, uh, goggle thing. Like use your money wisely. Okay. It's way too expensive anyway, all right? Um, it's, it's about stewarding time and being urgent with, with time. Now, the phrase there, I think what helps this, the phrase the time is a really important phrase. There's two Greek words generally used in, in the New Testament for time. There's the Greek word chronos, which just means like general time, time in general, hours, minutes, days, weeks, that kind of a thing. And then there's the Greek word used here, which is the Greek word kairos. It's a different word for time. It means a moment. It means an opportunity in time, the time, the moment. Paul is saying, the days are short. Get it while it's hot. Buy up your time. Seize the moment, Paul's saying, in light of eternity. I mean, this is a call, listen, to live a life in every second of our life in such a way that has purpose and intentionality and that matters more for me. You with me? It's a way to live your life in such a way that has legacy in mind. It has, it has consequence in mind. You're not just another person figuring out your career, navigating your way through life. You're an ambassador of the kingdom of God in evil days. It changes things. You start to think about your life in this context, and then you start going, I'm gonna make the best use of my time. You start stewarding time in that way. Here's a couple ways that we can think about this. Um, and maybe it gets more granular with, with each step. How do we buy up the time? I think maybe kind of as like a, a pyramid, upside down pyramid, if, if anything. We can think about first our lives. How can I be someone that uses my time, the time well? Seizes the moment. Well, first I gotta think about my life. I, I gotta th think about my life in light of eternity in, in the way that James 4 describes it. The Bible says in James 4, what is your life? What's your life? I and mean, think about this. What is your life? This is what James wants us to think about. He says, it's a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. We tend to think that we're invincible. Most people who are alive think they're invincible. Okay? Dead people aren't thinking anything. They're just like, I'm dead. Okay? But it's us who are alive who are going, man, I got time. You ever thought that? I got time. I've got time to be out what God's called me to. I got time. You know, I've, I've got time to, to begin to seek him sincerely. I, I've got time to begin living in him and for him. I've got time. I'll get to it. The myth of procrastination. What scripture is saying is like, no, you don't. You don't have time. <laughs> That's what scripture is saying. You don't have as much time as you think you do. But you do have, listen, exactly as much time as you need. It's Psalm 139. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. In your book, they were all written for me. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. This is cool. The Lord knows the number of days that you need. This sobering, humbling fact that we all have this uh, expiration date on our lives. Determined by God. He's aware of it. We're not. We'd love to know, wouldn't we? we'd be more productive. Um, the truth is we're all terminally ill. Isn't, isn't it true? We're all dying. 
you're going to die. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? Listen, that God has redeemed. Are you redeeming the time? So the first thing to think about is your life. I love what David says in Psalm 90. God, teach me to number my days, Lord. Help me remember that I don't have an infinite amount of time here on earth. I have a season of time that I need to seize myself. Teach me to number my days so I don't waste the gift of time that you've given me. Help me, God, may I use my life. Here's been the theme. Remember Ephesians 2.10? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand for you to walk in them. That's it. That's your life. There's good works that God has put before you. And the goal is to one day stand before him and hear him say, you did good with your time. Well done. Well done. You did the good works of being a dad. You did the good works of being a mom. You did the good works of being a neighbor. You did the good works of being an employer. You did the good works of being an employee. You did a good work ultimately of being my servant. That's the goal, our lives. Another way to think about this is our seasons though. I think this is where it gets a little bit more practical. We have seasons in our lives. I mean, our lives at the end of the day are really made up of different seasons. So if we want to be people who are buying up the time, we got to think about the big picture, our life as a whole. We got to have the heart of wisdom that numbers my days and sees it as a temporary opportunity, a spritz of Febreze, okay? It's here for a moment and then it's gone. So God, may I do what you've put me on earth to do. And the way that I begin to walk in that is I go from big picture to season of life. Redeem the opportunity. You're in a season of life right now. Ecclesiastes says this. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. I wonder how aware you are of the season of life you're in. Maybe it's, um, it's been a season of mourning. Maybe it's been a season of lacking. Season of seeking. Season of waiting. You know what those seasons are like? Just me? You know what those waiting seasons are like? Those are hard seasons. Some of us are, are in wintertime. Some of us are in springtime, man. We are dancing in the flowers. It's a good season. It's a new season. It's a new day. We need to be wise to discern our season before the Lord. To, to name our season. There's a season for every, every time under heaven. When you can name your season, you can make the most of your season. Because you know why you're there. And you don't waste time looking back on the previous season that's gone. Nor are you looking ahead to the next season. Like, come on, can you hurry up next season? You just go, God, you have me here for the purpose. This season is going to pass like every other one. Help me make the most of where you called me, when you've called me for your glory. My season. What are you doing in my season of life? God, help me get the most out of it. And then lastly, our days. There's our lives, there's our seasons of life, and then there's, of course, the days of our seasons. I was gonna say the days of our lives, but I think that's a soap opera, and I don't wanna wanna say that out loud. (coughs) There's our days. I mean, this is where it gets really helpful. Like, don't get too overwhelmed. In fact, isn't scripture like over and over again, like, hey, you've got one life to live. God has numbered it. It's gonna, it's gonna be done before you know it. Use it for the glory of God. Start by looking at the seasons of life that you're in. And when you name your season, listen, slow down. Just take it one day at a time. That's how, that's how you redeem the time. Jesus said, don't, don't worry about tomorrow. Quit wasting your time. 
Okay, I've already been there. Don't worry, I've got it. Just choose you this day who you're gonna serve. This is the day that he's made. Enjoy today. Enjoy what he's doing. Don't just endure your season. Enjoy the Lord here right now. What's he doing? Take it one day at a time. Give us this day our daily bread, Lord. One day at a time. Number three, wisdom not only studies the path, wisdom not only seizes the moment. This is another definition of wisdom. Wisdom serves the Lord, okay? So, so remember, Solomon taught us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So a heart of wisdom considers God. And not just who he is generally, but true wisdom lives in light of who God is. So Paul goes on to say that wisdom also serves the Lord. Look what he says in Ephesians 5. We saw this verse 17. Therefore, don't be unwise. I love, I love that Paul's kind here. He's like, he doesn't say don't be a fool. That's really nice. I gotta, get, I gotta learn this. Don't be unwise. That was unwise, okay? Unsmart. Not dumb, just not smart. Don't be unwise, but understand be deeply convinced of what the will of the Lord is. This is wisdom. The opposite, he says, is to be unwise. <laughs> it's to not know God's will and to have no thought to God's will and just to, listen, deceit, deceive yourself into thinking that it's your will that matters most. And this is really what um, creates a division between followers of Jesus and followers of this world. A follower of Jesus is uniquely someone who has said, Lord, not my will. I've spent enough time doing my will. I've, I've learned a few lessons when my will leads the way. I really want this, Lord, but nevertheless, not my will. I'm here for your will. Your will be done. I'm here to serve you. That's wisdom. I fear the Lord. Whatever you want, God. Not what I want, but what you want. Jesus taught us to pray this way. He said, in this manner, therefore, pray, O Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. My kingdom come, my will be done. No, your kingdom come. You're the king that endures forever. Your will be done on earth. That should include my life as it is in heaven. This is how we're called to posture ourselves as people that are fully surrendered to the will of God. Like what a, what a vision for a fun life, by the way. Like, <laughs> Yeah, there's sacrifice in doing the will of God, but that sacrifice leads to ultimate fulfillment. It leads to ultimate joy. It, you were, and I were created to do the will of God. That's where we find who we are. It's going lost and doing our own thing that has us astray. Two areas of God's will, write this down, that we wanna pursue in our lives. We wanna pursue, uh, Paul says, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Be about the will of God. Well, there's two um, general areas of the will of God. There's God's general will, and then there's God's unique will. Two ways that we can seek the will of God. We, we want to seek to do God's will for all of us. That's his general will, okay? There's some things in scripture, like you don't have to pray whether or not it's God's will, because he's already told you. He's like, this is what I want, okay? Um, it's clear. It's his revealed will. That's been one of the themes of Ephesians, God's will for all of us, his general will. Uh, Paul's been expressing this, that like God has amazingly revealed his plan to the world. That is so cool. He's brought us in. He's like, I got some intel. This is who I am. And this is what I'm up to. The glory of God in Christ to the ends of the earth. And you've been brought into that and you've been sent out to be a part of that. 
That's what I'm up to. That's my will. Paul's been saying that. So that's what he's, he's like, don't forget what God's will is and surrender to God's will. It's like, well, my life is not about building my kingdom. It's about building your kingdom. It's what you're up to. But, but there's also God's general will for us individually. Like, this is what I found too with, with the Lord. Like anytime I'm seeking direction from God and I find like, especially if I need like a specific step, you ever had to do this? You ever like had to seek, seek the will of God? God, what's your will? Where do I go? Where do I step? Like, what school, what job, what career? Where, where do I live? All this stuff. I, it's funny how, like, I put all this effort trying to do my best, you know, spiritual, I don't know, gymnastics to try to get God to give me the answer. And when I seek him for his will, he always faithfully reveals his will. But it's usually um, in the arena of who he's calling me to be, not just what to do. So I'll be like, God, I need your will. He's like, okay, here's my will. Don't conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're just like, I, that's a re- I really like your will. That's really good, okay? Here's your will. Love me and love the people around you. Okay, amen, Lord. Um, where should I do that? Right. And I just want to say, like, this, is God, this is God's priority for you and me when we're seeking his will. Not so much where we go and what we do, but who we are. Who are you? That's the question. Who cares where you go if you're not... Surrender to my will, my true will for your life. But, but there is that part of it that is, is the unique will of God. And, and I think the heart of all of this that, that Paul is getting at, the heart of wisdom, again, is here in James 4. We got one more after this, then we're out of here. James 4 says, come now you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. We're going to spend a year there. Here's my business plan. Here's my ideas. We're going to do my thing. We're going to go here. Things in Florida are a little crazy, okay? And so we're going to plan to go over there and spend a year there. I mean, we know this is not wisdom. I'm going to buy and sell. It's going to be no problem. I'm just going to buy and sell. Make a profit, no question. Whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow. Like you're planning, you have this will for your life next year. You have no idea what God's will for your life is tomorrow. We never know. I mean, the past couple of years have reminded us like we have zero control over the future. So, so the best way to live is not to go, here's my plan, here's my will. God, I'm here for you, but also mostly for me. And so God, I'm here to do my thing. No, no, the best plan is like to remember that your life's a short vapor. It's in the hand of God. Instead, here's what we should say. If the Lord wills, we'll just do whatever he wants. Isn't that so great? What a simple heart. Lord, I'm just here to do your will doesn't mean don't plan, okay? Man's heart plans his way, but we submit and we commit our plan to the Lord and we allow him to direct our steps, amen? We surrender, this is wisdom. Wisdom serves the Lord. Wisdom says, God, not my will, but your will. You got, got time for one more? Of course we do, the time, redeem the time, okay. Wisdom, lastly, seeks the spirit. You got one more point to talk about alcohol? Great, let's do this, Okay. Last point on alcohol. No, it's more than that. Write this down. Lastly, here's the heart of what Paul is saying here when he speaks about alcohol. He says, wisdom seeks the spirit. Wisdom. Wisdom studies the path. It seizes the moment. It serves the Lord. And it seeks not the things of the flesh, but to be ultimately led and fueled and filled by the Holy Spirit. Wisdom says, God, I need your spirit. I want your spirit. Fill me and lead me, direct me. May I be a spirit-filled person. That's wisdom. That's a wise person that walks in that way. 
the last verse here. And do not be, notice this, drunk with wine, in which is dissipation or debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I could probably take a couple weeks just to do like, I mean, there's, there's a lot in the Bible on the topic of alcohol. There's also a lot of tension around this topic uh, because what you have in the, first of all, because we have hearts that are often flawed and we either tend to lean towards a legalistic view of alcohol or a licentious view of alcohol. We hate it kind of way too much or maybe we love it way too much. Some of us, we, we, we love that Jesus turned water to wine. We're like, I love that miracle, Okay. Others of us would prefer that he turned wine to water. Like, I wish it would have been the other way. And so there's a lot of tension around this topic. If I could, if I could give a sentence this morning to summarize just some things about scripture and alcohol, as Paul is talking about this here. Um, and you can like, you know, email me or whatever, uh, Kyle at soulischurch.com. Um, <laughs> um, Here's, a, here's what I think is a, is a faithful biblical position on the approach to alcohol. Um, this is my understanding. When I read the Bible, I see that alcohol is a gift from God. Someone just say amen. That's, don't do that, okay? <laughs> alcohol is a gift from God. This is important. This is really important to be prayerfully received and carefully enjoyed, okay? So alcohol, first of all, is is a gift. For, it's seen in scripture as a, as a common grace gift of God. Um, a little reference for you. Psalm 104 says this. I don't know if you've ever read this verse. That God causes the grass to grow for cattle, vegetation for the service of man, and he makes wine. He gives wine. God, not the devil, it says God gives wine to make glad the heart of man. Oil to make his face shine. And bread, which strengthens his heart. So, so the Bible's like God's given vegetation for cattle, and he's given man wine, and he's given man bread for, for the goal of, and I love this too, like there's an effect to alcohol that, that, that in moderation, there's a gladness that comes with it. So the Bible describes alcohol as this gift from God, as wine. I mean, there's a reason why Jesus is like, we gotta, this party needs to get, like we need to go water to wine, okay? We need gladness. There's an effect that it has. That scripture also like somewhat, in, seems like it encourages that you can feel that to a degree. Like, it's like, I'm feeling happy from that glass of wine. Is that my sin now? He gave it for the gladness of man. Now, I want to say this, that, that alcohol in scripture is used in many different occasions, primarily for the purpose of, listen to this, joy and remembrance. Our culture uses alcohol to indulge and forget. To take me out of reality. To numb me to my pain. But scripture's like, no, you, you drink, do this in remembrance of me. Remember who I am. Remember what the Lord has done. So, so it's a gift for, for joy. But notice that is to be prayerfully received and carefully enjoyed. So for all of you who are like, amen, this, is, this really was a great sermon. In fact, like I just took some great notes. Like on the same token, scripture in the book of Proverbs will also, listen, will speak about the dangers and the destructive effects of alcohol that we tend to overlook, especially in our culture because we're so free in grace and we got, this, we got it all covered. I'm fine. And you see it. I see it. I'm on social media. Do you know what I'm saying? And you're just like, I think that's joy and remembrance. Looks like, 
looks a little bit like idolatry. It looks like a way to forget. It looks like the only thing you know how to do to have fun. So scripture's like, be careful. Like, there, there, there's, a, there's a snake bite that can come from alcohol. And, and lest we laugh too much about this, because you know me, I like to bring some levity to, to loosen the tension. Um, but for some of us, this, this, this is, there's no humor in this at all because we know, we know how the enemy has used alcohol to ruin lives, to ruin families. Um, we know how Jesus can redeem that. My dad's a great testimony of sobriety and redemption. And we, we want to create a culture here at Solace where if you're in recovery, we want you to come recover with us all. We're all struggling from different symptoms of the same fall. We're all seeking Jesus together. But there's a, there's a real thing here to where alcohol should be prayerfully received. It shouldn't be blindly received. Some of you should stop drinking. Some of you know that you can't drink. You shouldn't. Some of you maybe need to take a good season off to pray about if you should continue to drink because of how central maybe it's become in your life. Maybe it's become too strong in your life. The, the key thing here is also that last point. It's to be carefully enjoyed. That's the goal. I mean, it's, listen, it's like any other gift from God. This is what sin is. Sin, the enemy doesn't like invent new sins. He takes the good things that God creates and he's like, how can we abuse this for people's harm? That's sin. Sexuality, it's the same thing. Sexuality is not evil. It's a gift from God, but in its right context, out of its right context, it, it promotes destruction. Alcohol is the same thing. Now, Paul is saying in this passage, the careful enjoyment part is really important. Um, he, he says it clearly, don't be drunk with wine. Like, that's pretty clear, right? It's like you shouldn't, drunkenness is a sin. It is. Approaching alcohol as a means to drunkenness. And, and, and notice again here, the abuse of alcohol. I want you to see the point of this. Like the point is not to slap you on the wrist and give you a bunch of rules to follow. Okay, anytime God says no to you, it's because he has a better yes for you. Every time, he's like, no, because this. Okay, you get that? Every time it's a no, it's because there's a better yes. So he's like, notice the contrast. Don't abuse alcohol. Be filled with the spirit. You see, isn't that an interesting contrast he creates? He, he, he compares and contrasts the abuse of alcohol, drunkenness, with a life that's filled with the proper influence, the spirit. Because just like alcohol, okay, the Holy Spirit changes you. <laughs> it makes you do things you wouldn't naturally do. He, rather, excuse me. The Holy Spirit, as you're filled with his very presence and power, as you open your life up, you set your sail for the wind of God to blow in your life. You say, God, here I am. I want to be influenced by you. That's what Paul is saying here. Allow the proper influences to be steering your life. You with me here? You hear the heart of this? It's God has wisdom for you. He's got something so much greater, so much brighter. And that's why we follow Jesus. Amen?